0: Good evening, everybody. Uh, my name's uh, Dave Snoke. And uh, we're in the middle of our Advent uh, se- sequence here. And as I was thinking about uh, what to cover, we're doing it topically, so picking a, a different passage from scripture uh, each week. So uh, what I decided to do was this week and next week uh, to focus on something that is sometimes called Christology, uh, the study of Jesus, uh, specifically the person of Jesus. Who is he? and uh, what do we know about him from scripture. And uh, so the passage I pick for tonight is not a traditional Christmas passage that you might think of with uh, Jesus in the manger and so on, but it's actually very much about Christmas. Uh, If you turn to the uh, bulletin uh, on, uh, pages aren't numbered here, it's in your bulletin. um, We're gonna look at Colossians chapter one and a couple verses from chapter two and they really give us a picture of who Jesus is. This is the Jesus that was born in that manger so many years ago. And so we're going to really focus in on who he was, what he uh, was doing, and so on. Uh, so if you follow along with me, this is a uh, printed bulletin at the end. Uh, there'll be a response where I will say this is the word of the Lord and the response is thanks be to God. So hear God's word from Colossians chapter one starting in verse 11 being strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And then from chapter 2, starting in verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. This is the word of the Lord. Be, God. So I'm going to give, I give you a big word before, which was uh, Christology. Another a big word, maybe a little more familiar, is the incarnation. The incarnation is really what we celebrate at Christmas and uh, it's what it sounds like in, going into, and carne is Latin for the flesh. So it's uh, Jesus, uh, God, coming in the flesh. Uh, and we saw that in the Matthew verse uh, that's in the front of your bulletin, uh, that the word Emmanuel means God with us, that Christmas is about Jesus being uh, God with us. Uh, So, how can I put it, except this is a really big deal, right, so when you think about Christmas, I don't know what comes to your mind, I think of really just really fond memories as a kid of just like little manger scenes, right, Uh, and snow coming down, and uh, sledding and having time off of school and getting presents and all of those things. And that's great. It's really a way of us marking the day and saying this is really a big deal. Uh, But there's a reason why we do all those markers and that's because we're celebrating something uh, really quite amazing. That we're saying the God of the universe, the God who created the universe, uh, who made all things uh, that exist, uh, came to earth as a baby uh, in the flesh and lived, I grew up as a boy, did all the things that people do uh, and uh, lived among us and then uh, died on the cross and rose again. Um, so there is a certain amount of mystery uh, involved in this. Um, really, much of it is just mind blowing. Right? So how could God, the infinite God, take on human flesh and still be God? Uh, You know, in our minds, the flesh is is finite, God is infinite, uh, and there's so much that is not understood. Uh, But there's also the case that the Bible tells us a lot about Jesus. So we shouldn't just throw up our hands and say, it's a mystery, who knows? Uh, It's really, the Bible tells us a lot about Jesus, and it tells us a lot about the incarnation, a lot about the nature of God. And so even though it's true that there are some things that we can't uh, entirely understand, uh, there are some things that we can understand. The Bible goes out of its way to tell us, and so we should uh, try to focus in on what it's telling us. Now, um, one of the things you'll hear, uh, if you're around for a while, uh, is uh, that people will sometimes say, if you're listening to the internet trolls and so on, well, Jesus never claimed to be God. Have you heard that said before? Uh, or uh, the Bible, the early church didn't teach that Jesus was God. Um, I don't know, maybe you don't hang out in the same weird corners of the internet that I do, but um, uh, that kind of thing gets said. Um, and uh, it really can only be said by somebody who's not very familiar with Scripture, because if you read through passages like this one, like you can't miss it. Um, now, I put a bunch of additional Scriptures, I think uh, they're in there. I'm not going to read all those. Um, you can uh, look at those uh, in more detail Uh, Really, all through the New Testament, and I would argue even in the Old Testament, uh, there's quite a bit that talks about uh, Jesus being God uh, in the flesh. Uh, One of them we talked about just a few weeks ago on Sunday morning, which is that Jesus received worship. And if you were a Jew at the time in the first century, you knew that you only worship God and you don't worship anybody else. And the fact that Jesus accepted worship it was very significant that he knew exactly what that meant when somebody was worshiping him, uh, that, that meant that they were proclaiming uh, that he was God. Uh, and everybody knew that. Now, um, as uh, Pastor Matt talked about this morning, uh, sometimes people will say things like that because they're reacting to something that is in the Gospels, which you could call sort of the partial hiddenness of the mission of Jesus, that for a good part of his ministry, he kept sort of a veil partially over uh, who he was. Uh, and said you know, don't tell anybody about this and so on. Uh, and as uh, Pastor Matt talked about this morning, it was because there was such a loaded term of the Messiah that if he was to say that, it'd basically be like proclaiming, I am the king here to overthrow Rome. Like It could not be taken any other way by most of the people uh, listening to him at the time. Uh, but the fact is that we see uh, in numerous places uh, that Jesus did uh, claim to be uh, God in the flesh and is abundantly clear from what we have in the passage in front of us that the early church certainly taught that Jesus was God in the flesh. Uh, You can't read this passage uh, any other way. So the first part of what I wanna do uh, tonight is actually just review uh, the doctrine of the Trinity. Uh, Some of you may have been Christians for a long time and you're like, I got that down, Uh, no problem. So it'll be review. Uh, It'll be good to focus in on uh, reviewing who it is that we worship. Uh, For some of you, uh, maybe completely new, and you'd be like, Yeah, I was always confused by that. Uh, And I'm not going to remove all your confusion, but I will tell you some things that it is and isn't. Um, But um, another thing that sometimes you'll hear uh, in the dark places of the internet is that, well, the Trinity is something made up by Christians hundreds of years later, right? And that it's not uh, something early church taught. Uh, Again, that's nonsense. I will read uh, one of the additional scriptures here, uh, really very well known in the church, uh, from Matthew 28. This is among the last words that Jesus said to his entire church before he rose uh, and ascended to heaven. He says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, think about this for a minute. It's incredibly Trinitarian, right? It's one name, name singular, of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's the formula that we have for the Trinity uh, that the church has always kept. Uh, and then not only that, he says, oh, by the way, I'm, not, I'm omnipresent. <laughs> I'm with you uh, to the end of the age. Uh, and so you can't miss that this is a big claim by Jesus, <laughs> that he is the son of God, omnipresent with the, his church uh, to the end of the age. Uh, so let's just take a few minutes and think about uh, the doctrine of the Trinity. So uh, first things first, starting at the uh, starting point, the word Trinity means three. Uh, and we, uh, the Bible teaches uh, that God is one God in three persons, uh, not three people, uh, one God in three persons, uh, who are called the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Uh, Now, in some ways, it can be helpful to teach what it does mean by telling you some things that it doesn't mean. And every I I list uh, some errors here. Um, Every one of these I've heard in conversation with some Christians somewhere along the way. (laughs) Um, So if you've fallen into this, don't feel too bad, Uh, but it's oftentimes... You'll hear someone trying to explain the Trinity to somebody, and they're like, "Yeah, actually, that's not quite right." Okay, so uh, I'm not going to talk about every possible error, but I'm just going to give you uh, four. Uh, one can be called modalism, and lots of times Christians will, well-meaning Christians will explain the Trinity this way. They'll say something like the following: Well, say like I, Dave Snoke. Uh, well, I am a father to my children. Uh, I'm also a professor at the university, and I'm also a son to my father. So it's like I'm one person, but I have three different roles. Is that a good explanation for the Trinity? No, that's not right. Um, because if David Snoke the father started talking to David Snoke the son, you would probably send for someone to take me off to the hospital, right? <laughs> so what do you think, David the professor? Well, I don't know. What do you think, David the son? Um, That's not, (laughs) that would not be good for me, but that is what we're saying in the Trinity. We're saying that there are three persons uh, in the Trinity. And by the way, this is a little bit of a thing that you can do in English that isn't necessarily something you can do in every language, but uh, the formula is that we say there are three persons, not three people. And that may seem like a a weird subtlety, but when we say people in English, it sort of implies to us that they have a body and that there'll be three bodies. Uh, and be like, you know, three men standing around. But that's not what the Trinity is, right? So the Trinity, intrinsically, God is spirit, uh, and only Jesus took on human flesh. Uh, so it's not like we have three people. That sounds like polytheism, right? But what we are saying is there are three personalities. There are three relational beings who relate to each other, and you see in Scripture... Uh, Jesus talking to the Father uh, and the Father talking to the Son. This is my beloved Son and listen to him uh, and so on. So you see relationship between those. Uh, there's a book which we used to have on the book table when we had a book table before COVID uh, called Delighting in the Trinity. And I don't know if it's maybe still over there, if we have a copy, or if we sold them out. Uh, but he makes a really good point in that book that Um, in some sense should have been obvious what wasn't necessarily one that people focused in on which is for God to be love and the and the New Testament says God is love right that's one of the great uh, verses of the Bible for him to be love requires relationship love can't exist in a vacuum without a beloved Uh, and the fact that God is a trinity says that from all eternity, before people ever existed, God was love because there was love relationship between the Father and the Son, and the Son and the Spirit, and so forth, that God didn't need to make people in order to become loving to have an object of his love, that he was love eternally and intrinsically. And if you really think about that for a while, like that changes your whole picture of God in some ways. It's not like Um, he's a monad, just sort of a block sitting there imperturbable, but there is a loving relationship that exists in the fabric of the universe from all eternity, uh, and that is what we say about the nature of God. And so we would say then he created the universe, he created beings like us as a reflection of that loving relationship which already existed from all eternity between the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Um, So that, uh, we are saying then that there really is relationship, so that's not Uh, modalism which would say it's really just one personality switching positions uh, and that would be an error on the other hand uh, there's another error which I doubt that anybody in this room probably very few people overall would claim that they hold to uh, which is polytheism to say that we have three gods now many Muslims think that's what we believe so if you talk to many Muslims their assumption is that we are polytheistic and that we have three gods Uh, and um, that is not what we uh, would teach as Christians Uh, on the other hand sometimes people will talk about the Trinity like they're a polytheist so have you ever heard anyone say well uh, the father was really angry with people and Jesus kind of stood and stopped him from his anger and uh, persuaded him not to do something Well, that would be like polytheism, right? That there's this fighting or battle between these uh, persons and they're not in agreement. The Trinity, the doctrine of Trinity, is that they are always in agreement. Uh, And Jesus says in the book of John, uh, I never do anything other than what is pleasing to my Father. That there is not a conflict uh, between them. And so some people have the picture of the cross that God was like all mad at people and Jesus said, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll, I'll, I'll go to the cross and atone and th- will that persuade you not to condemn them? Okay. Um, but that's not what the Bible says. We just read that it says the Father sent the Son. God so loved the world that he sent his Son to die for us. Uh, it was the Father's plan uh, from all eternity to send the Son uh, to live among us and it was not uh, something that uh, Jesus did as sort of to... to Uh, oppose the Father uh, in any way. And then the Holy Spirit applies that salvation, again, perfectly in agreement with the Son. It's not that that the Son is saying, well, um, I want to save all the people, and the Holy Spirit says, well, I'm just going to save a few. Um, You know, It's really, they are completely in agreement with each other, uh, and they are in concert with each other. Um, Okay, so that's error number two. Uh, Error number three is... um, Arianism might not be anybody in this room who's fallen into this, but we all may know somebody. Uh, this is an ancient heresy of the church, but it's also one that's present in a group called the Jehovah's Witnesses and a couple of other groups that say that Jesus is a created sub-deity. Uh, that there's the Father and the Spirit and then Jesus is like a later creation uh, made by God. And again, that would basically be to say uh, that we are worshiping the creature rather than creator if we worship Jesus. Uh, and so we would be idolaters if we believed that. Uh, and again, this passage clearly teaches that's not the case. In verse 16 and 17 it says, all things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So, he's not a creation, he is before all the creation, and he actually, it's quite interesting it's saying that Jesus was actually the agent of creation. Uh, that he um, uh, was directly involved uh, in the creation of all things. Uh, and the, uh, the fourth error that I pointed out, um, I don't know of a good name to call this, uh, but I call it two persons and a force. Um, this is uh, something that uh, sometimes I'll hear from Christians. Uh, many times people slip into this without meaning to, but they will call the spirit an it, right? Um, so it's kind of like, some people have the idea that Trinity there's like two people, the father and the son, and there's like this fluid uh, that is the Holy Spirit uh, and you know it's, uh, you're like a bucket you can have this fluid poured into you or you know more or less of it or something like that um, and uh, not ascribing personhood to the spirit and yet we have for instance I think I put down here Romans 8 it says it's a very uh, moving passage says the Spirit prays for you if you were a Christian. The Spirit is a person who is sent by the Father and the Son, and He is in heaven praying for you. Uh, when It says when we pray uh, and we don't know what to pray, the, the Spirit Himself intercedes and basically says, well, what you meant to say was this, <laughs> and I will pray for you. Uh, and so the Spirit is a person. Now, it is true that the Spirit takes in some sense a backseat of visibility in that his role is always to point us to Christ uh, the spirit is always uh, filling us with the spirit of Christ sometimes he's called the spirit of Christ um, uh, he, he 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 directs us our attention to our king uh, which is Christ uh, but he is a he he's not an it uh, and I can't tell you how many times in church when I've heard people praying and I'm like you know I, I love the spirit of this but you just prayed heretically uh, because um, we address the spirit as he and him and you. uh, And in modern parlance, we use his preferred pronouns. Um, (laughs) uh, It's uh, kind of funny, you know, that on the one hand, uh, we can say that God in his nature, in his divine nature, is neither male nor female. Uh, And it would be heretical to say that God is physically male in his spirit, uh, and or to say that men are more like God than women are uh, because the Bible says in Genesis chapter 1 that male and female, actually is a formula in Genesis 1.28 that goes out of its way to say male and female equally share the image of God and the image of God he created both of them uh, and so we cannot say or even think oh men are more like God uh, than uh, women. On the other hand, if we were to call God an it, that would make him seem like less of a person, right? And so all through scripture, his preferred pronouns are he, uh, and so we you know, it, it's kind of interesting. Maybe 20 years ago, this would have been a weird conversation to have, but now it's kind of like, you understand, preferred pronouns, so God, you know, puts his name up, you know, God, and then, you know, underneath that, you know, I get emails like this all the time, preferred pronouns, he, you know, he, him. So that's the case for God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So please don't call the Holy Spirit it, uh, he's not a force like in Star Wars. Uh, you know, he is a person uh, who you can pray to. And by the way, in prayer, you can pray to any of the three persons of the Trinity. Um, you can say, come Holy Spirit. Uh, you can say, thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross. Don't thank them for each other's work necessarily. Like, um, there's a lot of mixing, but don't thank the Father for dying on the cross. Uh, Jesus died on the cross. A little tricky uh, things like that. But in general, we do direct our prayers to the Father But it is fine to direct our prayers uh, to all of them. Um, Let's focus in on Jesus now. So the formula for the Trinity is one God, three persons. Uh, The formula for Jesus, now we're focusing in on the second person of the Trinity, uh, who is called the Son, and the formula there is one person, two natures, all right, So Jesus has a divine nature and a human nature and the formula is that he added to himself uh, a human nature. So he did not stop being God uh, spiritually when he became incarnate, uh, but rather he added to himself a physical nature. Uh, In the Nicene Creed the formula is he was begotten but not made, uh, that he was conceived in the flesh. So that begotten is maybe a very old English word. Uh, It means conceived in the flesh Typically, that's done by a father, but it is not always, as we know from the virgin birth. Uh, we have, again, Matthew chapter 1 says, The virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall name, call his name Emmanuel, which means uh, God with us. So the formula is that uh, as you, we could say, as a person, have a spirit and a flesh. Jesus is spirit and flesh, but his spirit is the divine spirit. He, he is intrinsically God, and he added himself flesh when he became incarnate uh, on earth. Um, Now um, we're going to talk next week a lot more about the nature of Christ and his humanness and so on. There is a fair amount of mystery in that also. Uh, How could Jesus uh, be tempted? Uh, How could he be suffered? Because can God suffer? Can God uh, uh, not know things and so on? Uh, But it's important to understand here that Jesus is one person. So There is never a situation in which Jesus, spirit Jesus, uh, or divine Jesus talks to flesh Jesus, right? So it's not like, you know, Jesus is one person who has one personality. It's not like he's saying, well, uh, what do you think divine Jesus? Well, I don't know. What do you think human flesh Jesus? You know, he is one person, but he has these two natures. Uh, and there is an analogy with us that we could say we have a physical nature and we have a spiritual nature as well, but his spiritual nature is the d- divine nature. He is God uh, from all eternity, whereas our spiritual natures are created just like the rest of us um, by, by God. Um, so the formula that is used in this passage we have in front of us, um, there's a, a number of different ways of putting it. Okay? So it says he is the image of the invisible God. Uh, That is a really striking statement to say that in one sense God is invisible and no one can truly see God face to face. On the other hand, Jesus in the flesh is God's presentation of himself to humanity. He is saying, if you want to think about me like a man, this is the way you should think of me uh, because this is me uh, coming uh, in the flesh. We also have in verse 19, it says, for in him the whole fullness of deity Dwells bodily. Uh, and so that's, again, this idea of one person with two natures. And it's saying the whole fullness of deity is there. It's not as though he was partially God, he was fully God, and yet he also added himself uh, a human nature so that he was fully man. Uh, and uh, we'll talk next week uh, a little bit more about what it means to say that Jesus was fully uh, human. Uh, and just one last thing about Jesus in uh, his nature. Uh, He still has that human body. Uh, That's the point of the resurrection. He rose in the flesh and he is still in the flesh. He still has uh, an indestructible human body. Uh, And so when we see him face to face, we will see a person. Uh, And when we go to heaven, he will be walking around. Uh, He has an indestructible human body uh, which is changed in many ways from one which is subject to decay uh, in this world as our bodies are. And yet, he will be recognizably human uh, when we meet him. Uh, He's not going to be uh, some kind of phantom uh, or something like that. Okay, well, um, just moving on then, let's talk a little bit about the importance of this for us. Uh, How does this relate to us? And I think it really uh, meshes well with what uh, Pastor Matt was talking about with the cross this morning, with the atonement. Uh, And he had this phrase saying, Keep the cross in Christmas, right? That the, the, when Jesus came to earth, he was on a mission to go to the cross from, from the very beginning. Um, and there's a number of things about the Trinity that are actually crucial uh, for the message of the gospel. Um, you notice in verse 20, uh, Paul connects his incarnation to uh, the cross. He says, For in him the fullness of God was pleased to dwell through himself, to, through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace by the blood of his cross. So the incarnation and the cross are just connected uh, directly. This gets to the fundamental question, how can God save sinners? And much could be preached about the gospel, but um, one thing that we can say in general, the principle of justice is that God cannot forget sin. He cannot just say, oh, it's no big deal. Uh, There must be atonement for sin. But justice demands that you make atonement for your sin. So how can you make atonement for your sin? Well, the answer is by union with Christ. When Christ died, that was your death. Uh, That when we uh, are united to Christ by faith, then we are intimately connected to him through the Holy Spirit so that his life is our life uh, and his his death is our death and his life is our life. So that Paul could say, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me, right? Uh, And so um, when he died, all died uh, who were in him, Uh, his death is our death. Uh, Now think about this, really both sides of Christ's nature have to be there for that to be true, because uh, if he's not human, then there is no person dying, right? There is no blood atonement for your sin. Uh, and on the other hand, if he's just a human, how could he be spiritually united to you in any way which is meaningful? Uh, it would just be no different from me saying, well, I'm gonna kill Sam for my sins. Uh, it would be an injustice. Through the Holy Spirit who indwells his people, we can be truly and really united to him so that it can be truly said, and not just a legal fiction, that his death is our death because we are truly and really united to him through the Holy Spirit. Uh, And so his divine nature is crucial for him to be able to indwell all the people of the earth and for uh, us to be truly united to him uh, through the Spirit. Uh, And so this is uh, really essential, as I said, for understanding uh, the Gospel. Now, I wanna also say, however, that uh, It is not the case that God became a trinity just when people started sinning. Uh, As though this was like a plan B and that after Adam and Eve sinned and sin came into the world, God said, well, I guess I need to split now into three people and take on human flesh and do all these things. Um, Had we never sinned, we have, I think, the implication that God still would have known us uh, come incarnate. We have that picture in the Garden of Eden of God walking in the garden with them in the cool of the evening, uh, that there would have been a presence of Jesus in the flesh uh, among people. Uh, And yet, when Adam and Eve sinned, there was a, a cutoff, a barrier, where they were cast out of the garden. They could no longer be with God incarnate face-to-face anymore, and there's a barrier which has existed ever since uh, between us and God, and yet Jesus came in the flesh uh, to restore that uh, relationship, to put us back uh, in relationship with him. One of the significant things about that is that because we could say that Jesus from all time uh, had a plan to be incarnate, that really says something about the importance of humanity uh, being made in the image of God, that um, It's not as though we're just like these dregs that God made on the side and, you know, oh, by the way, I guess I'll save them. Uh, But it's saying that God has endowed us with so much dignity that he actually is saying, I will intrinsically, for all future eternity in this created order, uh, add to myself human flesh. Uh, And that is an incredible statement about the dignity and and significance of, of humans. That the Creator of the world would make human flesh something that He Himself would dwell in, uh, and even apart from the atonement, uh, that's that's an amazing thing to say that He cares about what we do. He cares about our existence so much that so He actually wants to live among us uh, and to be uh, with us in human flesh. Okay, well I'm almost out of time, so I'm just going to give you a couple applications, and the two applications I want to give you are from. Uh, Uh, Paul's writings here, Um, the first one got cut off actually in the reading, Uh, verse 10, which is just before the one that uh, I started in on there, Uh, Paul says, may you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. Uh, Oh, I have that there. Okay, what's missing is just the word you, I guess, okay, or being strengthened. Anyway, my translation says, may you be strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might. Uh, So Paul is applying this and he's saying, if you get this idea of the Trinity, this should have an impact on strengthening you. Uh, So that's the first application, uh, that we really should uh, lift up our eyes to say, uh, what I started out with, this is a big deal. God cares a lot about people to such a degree, he, he added himself human flesh and died for them uh, on the cross uh, and rose from the dead. Um, and so we should um, really lift up our eyes to say, I live in a universe uh, which is dazzlingly interested in what I'm doing uh, and dazzlingly interested in what people in general are doing. Uh, R.C. Sproul, some of us are uh, fans of R.C. Sproul, had a saying, right now counts forever. Right? that what you do matters eternally and significantly. Uh, we're not just atoms and molecules being passed about and passing through. Uh, the second application uh, is one which uh, Paul makes in chapter 2, where he says, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit. Um, it, as I talked about with all those errors, it's possible to be led astray into wrong teachings or just, you know, carelessness in thinking about the Trinity. Uh, So there's sort of two sides to this. Um, It's not like if you say something wrong about the Trinity, we're going to throw you out of the church uh, or something like that, or God will just be mad at you or something like that. But on the other hand, uh, don't fall into the ways of this world and thinking humanly uh, that uh, we should be thinking carefully about these things. And so... On the one hand, the Trinity and the incarnation of Jesus can be tricky. Um, On the other hand, we shouldn't have the attitude, oh, it's just a mystery, who cares? Uh, We should be using our minds to think carefully about these things because God has revealed these things to us and they matter in terms of our whole self-image. Understanding how I can be right with God uh, fundamentally relates to our union with Christ and that matters, uh, union with Christ matters uh, in terms of the Trinity and so on. So um, don't just throw up your hands about these kind of teachings, but think carefully about them. Ask questions. And again, there's that great book on delighting in the Trinity, uh, which is out there uh, somewhere. Uh, Maybe on Amazon is the best way to get it. Uh, So uh, we should have both awe of God uh, and confidence, and we should not be led astray. So as we come to Christmas, um, let's lift up our eyes and remember what an amazing God that we have uh, and He came as a baby, but he was much, much more than just a baby in a manger. Let's pray.